Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that's in the New Testament, the second book of uh, the New Testament, a third, yeah, I said it right, you heard me wrong. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. So a few, I don't know, a handful of years ago, I was invited to be a member of a board of directors for a ministry. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, great. And so I went to Nashville to, to sit on this board for one of our first meetings. And I walk in the room, and I notice that I'm a little different, right? I mean, I'm, I'm dressed like this, and everybody else is dressed a little bit differently. Um, by the way, I just want to make a note that most preachers have bling up here, right? They have big old rings and, and watches and stuff. My bling is right here. I just noticed that, just so you'll know. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, I was different. I walked in the room, and, and the, the ministry director started to introduce everybody, and he started on the other side of the room, and, and I was hearing things like, yeah, and this is Jack, and he's a uh, uh, VP for operational affairs for HCA, and next guy, yeah, this is uh, so-and-so, he runs all the franchises for this particular, I mean, and, and here's so-and-so, he's a, gen, a, a brigadier general, yeah, and, and so as, as I'm listening to these, I'm just kind of sinking down a little bit more, a little bit more, because I'm thinking, he's got to eventually get to me. He got to me, and he's like, yeah, this is Jeff, and he's a pastor in Florida of a small church. I'm like, I mean, he didn't really say that, but that's what I heard, that's what I heard, and, and I'm like, Man, I'm in a room full of big dogs, and like I'm a chihuahua, right? I mean, I, I was feeling intimidated, and I was thinking, but as the meeting went on, I started to realize God was teaching me a lesson, and he taught me something right there that I, I haven't ever forgotten. He said, Jeff, you know, your position, your success has nothing to do with how popular you are how much authority you have, how much money you have, what you drive, what you look like. My kingdom is different than that. And I walked out of that room with a determination, and to this point it's been true, I will never feel small in a room ever again. Not because of me, but because of the God that I serve. What I want to say to you is this. We live in a world who has a pecking order of importance. We live in a world who has a, uh, an idea of your worth and your value based on temporary things. What job do you have? You get a group of guys together, first thing they ask is, what, what do you do for a living, right? And what they're really wanting to know is, what's your value? What are you worth, right? They're really kind of trying to, if you get in a room full of preachers, the number one question they're going to ask is, so how big is your church? Because how big your church is is an evidence of how successful you are. Here's the thing, folks. The world looks at things wrongly. The world looks at things based on what you've accomplished. The kingdom of God looks at things based on what you've allowed God to do in you and through you. And so as we look at this passage today, the overarching uh, understanding is this. The kingdom of God isn't looking for great men and women. The kingdom of God is looking for humble, small men and women that God can choose or not to choose to make great in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of Him, in His eyes, you're great if you're small. Does that make sense? So in Luke chapter 14, 
Um, <clears throat> there, there's three sections here that, that I want to look at, but I want to kind of move through the first two pretty quickly because the first two are kind of setting up. They're the, they're the, 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 uh, they set the stage of the scene for Jesus' teaching. It begins in Luke chapter 14, verse 1, that there is a party being thrown. It's not really a party. It's more of a lunch. It's a Sabbath lunch. And the chief Pharisee, the, the chief religious leader of the town, uh, has a lunch every Sabbath. And so um, he invites all of the bigwigs to come. It's like a politician's club, basically. He invites all of the fancy, uh, uh, well-to-do, socially uh, elite people into his house for this lunch, but then he invites two people who shouldn't have been there. He invites Jesus, and he invites a man who is sick, and he's got this illness that causes his body to, to bloat with water, so he's holding water. There's some, there's some names for it, uh, endema or something. Uh, but it basically is a symptom of a deeper problem. So there's probably a heart issue or a liver issue, something going on. But this man is sick and he's invited. Now, here's the thing. Jesus was never invited to those lunches and neither would the sick man have ever been invited to the lunch. But it was a trap. It was a setup. The Pharisees wanted Jesus in the room with the sick man so that they could trap him to condemn him so he could die. And so that was the whole thing going on here. Now, their view of Jesus was that he was a heretic. They, he got under their skin something awful because he spoke with such authority and he didn't have the education, he didn't have the schooling, he didn't have the, uh, the right to speak like he did. And besides, he constantly spoke against the things that the Pharisees were doing. And so he had to go. Well, this man who was sick was invited, but their thought of him was that he was a sinner. Because their belief was that his sickness was a result of an immorality in his life, and this was God's judgment upon him. Essentially, they looked at each other and they said, we deserve to be here. They don't. But we're going to invite them here so that we can trap Jesus. And Jesus, knowing what was going on, looked around and he said to them, so uh, is it right to heal on the Sabbath or not? They didn't answer. The Bible says they remained silent. The reason they stayed silent was because, depending on their answer, they would, they would kind of mess up their trap. So they just stayed silent. They, kind of, kind of just, they didn't even move their head probably. They just looked, you know, moved their eyes, right? Weird, eerie feeling in the room for moments. It was what my dad would call a pregnant pause. And Jesus then reached out and touched the man and healed him. Instantly, all of his sickness was gone, and then Jesus said, now you're released, go. He left the room, and the Pharisees now were going, uh-oh, we got him. We got him. But Jesus beat him to the punch. He said, so tell me, which one of you, if you had a son or an ox that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, would not help him? They're like, oh, dang, he got us again. Like, checkmate, right? So, so that's the background to these parables that are coming up. The background was the Pharisees felt like they were something they felt like they were more than they really were because they checked all the right boxes. Let me put that in Gulf Breeze terms. They had the right car. They wore the right brands. They had the right friends. They went to the right parties. They had all of those things, their houses and all. Their social status was very, very high, and everybody looked up to them and wanted to be like them. It was this completely fake them, but nonetheless, that's what it was. And so the very next part of the passage, verse 
7, the Bible says, He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. So they were watching Jesus. By the way, verse 1 says that when he went up in the cloud, uh, they were watching him closely, right? They, they were watching him, but he was watching them. Somebody's watching you. Yeah, seeing that one in your head all day long. So he was watching them, and he noticed that as people would file in, they would choose the place at the table based on how important they felt themselves. And all of them were jockeying for position. So here's how it worked. When you were invited to a, a banquet, um, you had the master of the banquet, uh, the, the host of the party was sitting at the head table. It's like a wedding banquet, right? At, at the head table there, and then the person immediately to the right and the person immediately to the left were the most honored guest. Kind of like the best man and the, uh, the best woman. What do you call that? Bridesmaid. Maid of honor, yeah. So that, it's kind of like that status there. And then moving out from there was less and less important all the way back to the end. If you were at the end table, you were like the least in the room. Kind of like me in this room of, of the board meeting, right? So Jesus said, there's a man who had a banquet. Or he said, I've, I've been watching you. And, and he tells the story. There's a man who had a banquet. And um, let me just read the story. That'd be better. When you're invited to, by, uh, by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because the more distinguished person that, uh, than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of them may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's what Jesus is trying to teach. He's saying, look, your arrogant heart is showing. Your desire to be somebody is showing. Your lack of humility is showing. But the ironic thing is, everybody who's watching you is missing it. Because you're all trying to find the same place. And you're like, oh, I want to be like him or I want to be like them. Question for you. Who are your heroes? Who do you want to be like? Are they the people who are popular and famous and doing all the right things and wearing all the right things? Listen, for our young adults and for our students, this is a difficult thing. Because you are labeled and judged based on what you wear, right? And if you don't wear the right style, let me tell you, I'm the guy who wore the Walmart, or the, it was Kmart at the time, Velcro. You ain't cool until you wear Kmart shoes that have two Velcro laces and three white stripes on the side. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever wear those? That is not part of the Cool Kids Club. I just want you to know. I didn't realize it at the time, but trust me, it is not, Right? But you're labeled based on what you wear. And it's not just the young adults, it's you adults too. I mean, you have to wear Prada. I don't even know these names, right? I mean, I'm thinking if I can buy the same thing in an alley for 12 bucks, who's going to know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you go to New York City, you can buy the same thing. It looks, okay, now I'm not even going to go there. Rabbit, squirrel, whatever you want to call. So Jesus is saying, look, when you are in this situation, instead of going to the head of the table, come back to the last. And he's not really talking about the action. He's talking about the heart. He's saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought because somebody else might be important in the room. And then you're told by the host, oh, by the way, that's not your seat. That's your seat. In other words, you need to go to the back of the bus. 
See, we have a country that's had this history for a long, long time. And it's not just white-black. It's, it's, it's literally every race. It's every uh, social economic class. It's, you ever heard the other side of the tracks, right? I mean, this is, this is literally the way the world works. If you go to India, there is a, a, a caste system. And it's the same thing. It's, you've got people who have value. You have people who have less value. than you have people who have no value. Can I just tell you something? At the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. At the foot of the cross, you are no different than the person next to you. And by the way, here's what's interesting. If we think we're something, if we think that because we live in a certain place or we, we have certain things that we're something, you are the other person to someone else. Because it doesn't matter what you have, somebody else has more. Doesn't matter what you wear, somebody else wears something bigger and better and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't matter what you drive, somebody else drives something snazzier. Right? So it's ludicrous for us to actually think that our value has anything to do with what we have and where we go and the people we hang out with. What's really important is, Jesus saying, think of yourself this way. When you walk into a room, find the servant's table. At my house, it's called the kitty table. Now, I, I used to be condemned to the kid table. I'm not sure why that was, but you know how you have the, all the adults are sitting at the big table, and then one adult gets to sit in that little dinky chair, right? Now, I'm not sure how they figured that one out, but a lot of times I had, I'm at the kitty table. Yes, it's great to talk to you, Mr. Three-Year-Old. I mean, here's the thing. Your first thought should be the kitty table, but it shouldn't be like, oh, I'll be a servant. No, it should actually be, I want to be the least. I want to be the least noticed because I want Jesus to be in front of everything that I do. And again, it's not so much about the action as much as it is about the heart. When you want to be somebody for you, you may become somebody for you, but that's the reward being somebody for you. But when you want to be nobody for Jesus, your reward is not, that, not just that God oftentimes elevates you here, but in the kingdom of God, in eternity, He exalts you. The Bible says that He humbles those who are, uh, or He humbles those who need to be humbled, and He exalts those who are humble. And so that's that second parable. And then he turns and he says to the one who invited all the guests. He talks to the, to the person who was the head of the party. Verse 12, he also said to the one who invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those, you're going to hear this again, who are poor maimed, lame, or blind. Jesus is saying, when you throw a party, don't throw it for all your fancy rich friends. Throw it for the ones who would never be invited. For the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let me tell you what's going on here. So there was a reciprocating agreement. It was this unspoken thing that if you went to somebody's house for a party, you had to reciprocate that. That's why going to a fancy person's house was a big deal because it's like you're moving up in the world. Now you get to have a party and invite fancy people yourself. Totally social structure, totally earthly, totally temporary, but that's the way it was. Jesus said to the head of the party, look, when you're making out your guest list 
I want you to think of the least likely to come, and I want you to invite them. I want you to think of those who are lame and have to have help getting here. Invite them. Why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus is saying, in my Father's house, there's room for everyone. Not just the ones who look right and who talk right and who think right. You ever notice that most church plants are in white, middle-class American suburbs that are growing? You ever notice that? Why? Because that's where the people are. It's not super-duper hard. You just throw up a party and, and have some stuff and people come. It's not really that simple. But here's the thing. You rarely find people going into the, uh, into the inner city and, and you going into places that you've got to work for, for, for years and years and years to have a small group of 50 people. That's work. But here's the thing. Jesus cares about the least of these. He cares about the least of these. and That probably sounded too harsh. I shouldn't have made that comparison there, but, but there is some truth to it. We always want to go to the easy place. No, we need to go to the highways and the hedges. We need to go to the places where the people are that don't deserve the gospel, which, by the way, that's pretty much everywhere, right? Well, we need to go to the places that no one else wants to be because Jesus cares about the marginalized and the broken and the poor and the addict and the weary and the like, right? So now we get to the main part, part, uh, story. They would have understood what Jesus was saying. They would have understood that Jesus was saying, in this room there's a bunch of people who think there's something but they're not. Outside of this room there's a bunch of people who don't think they're anything but they are. If you really want to be followers of the kingdom. If you really want to be in God's kingdom, your heart has to change to where you care about the least of these. If you don't care about the least of these, you are not having the same heart and mind as God. That's the bottom line. You talked about this in class today, didn't you? I figured you did. <laughs> it's always, always something. So here's the, final, here's the final parable. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This guy didn't get it. He was basically trying to justify himself in front of Jesus, going, we're blessed because we're going to eat in the kingdom of God. So Jesus reset this standard. He said, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. Now here's why this was important. There are actually two invitations to a banquet in these days. The first invitation was more like a save the date, right? The, the word would get out, hey, we're having a banquet, you're invited, you need to save the date on this day. But the second invitation was, hey guys, the food is ready, because it took time to prepare and get everything going. The food is ready, it's time to party. That was the idea here. And so the Bible says that, or in the story, Jesus... Just talk amongst yourself. My Bible's not corroborating. There it is. Um, he, uh, he told him, a man was giving a large banquet, and he said, be, be, uh, come now because everything was invited. Verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out to see it. I may ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. So 
the thing about this is the listeners, the Pharisees, would have been like, yeah, right, not a chance. Why? Because of the understanding of what parties were. If a rich person invites you to a party, they're, they're moving your, your class up, they're, they're, they're honoring you, you would go to the party at all costs. The excuses were ridiculous. They were totally lame. Here's the excuses. The first one says, um, I've bought some land and I must go see it. Now, I said it earlier, I said, nobody buys a piece of land without seeing it. And actually, apparently, people do now. But for the most part, that was a lame excuse. The, the, the Pharisees would have gone, wait a minute, that's just dumb. Uh, he would have another way. He would not miss this party for a piece of land that he bought. It was just an excuse. Listen, it was just an excuse. The second guy said, hey, man, I just bought five oxen. I need to go try them out. I need to go do a test drive of my new oxen. Now, number one, he was a rich man if he could buy five oxen, so he had servants who could have done that. And number two, why would he need to try them out at the same time when the party was going on? It was just an excuse. The third one may have some merit. I just got married. Chances are his wife was saying, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going out again. No, I'm just kidding. The truth is, in the story, they would have known that it was just an excuse. What's the point? Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He was saying, look, I've invited you. I did a save the date for you back when Abraham was made a promise by God. I'm going to bless you and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. And you've seen it through the prophets and you've seen it through the kings. You've seen this all the way up to this point that you, as God's people, the Jews, were invited. And now that the kingdom of God is at hand, you have an excuse. You're not interested. And the next part of the parable tells us what God's heart is. The very next part says, So the servant came back, verse 21, and reported all these things to the master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. You see that? The same kind of people he just spoke of. By the way, if you're going to throw a party and you decide to, to, to invite the poor, the, blame, uh, the, the lame, the, the, the maimed, the blind, and the lame, and somebody says, man, that party was totally lame, it's true. See, they laughed here. They didn't get it over there. I mean, if you invite a bunch of sick people and people are like, man, that party was totally sick, that's a compliment. That's totally a compliment. Why? Because it means you're loving and caring about the people that nobody else does. This is the whole point. We think we're something because of what we have, but by the grace of God, one moment of something in your life could flip the script. You could have everything going for you, and literally in three minutes, in 30 seconds, your life completely and totally changed. Get accused of something that you didn't do and see how that works out for you. uh, Get an illness that debilitates you. See how that works out for you. You know, the truth is, our self-righteousness is nothing because the world or, or the way life could go in an instant could change it all. It could change it all. The fact of the matter is, When Jesus tells the story, he said that the master said, go out quickly and invite 
the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. He was saying, go invite people who would tell you no. You see, because you were expected to reciprocate the party, when he invited these people, they would have said, oh, no, I don't, I don't fit there. I'm not that kind of people. And that's why the very next part says, compel them to come in. Make them come in. In other words, these people knew they didn't belong. The only reason they were there was because of grace. The Pharisees thought they belonged, but they didn't because they didn't understand grace. It is all about grace, every single bit. So my question to you, well, let's finish the story. So the, uh, verse 22, Master of the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, and these three awesome words, but there's still room. May God Burden us with those three words. There's still room. As we're driving where we drive, as we're going where we go, may our hearts and minds constantly be echoing these words. There's still room in my Father's house. You can invite the undeserved into the kingdom of God. My friend who tells me he was born again and he hasn't gotten over it, that's his life. Every time you talk to him, every conversation goes to the kingdom of God. It turns to Jesus. Some would say he's a fanatic, and he would say, I'm not a fanatic. I was just rescued from the pit of hell. This is a man who had everything his heart could ever desire. He was born again at his wedding because he saw a plaque that had some sort of a scripture verse. God gripped his heart, and here was his promise. He said, God, I've lived for the devil long enough. I'm going to live ten times as much for you because of what you're doing with me. This big old burly guy crying. I mean, here's the thing. He hasn't gotten over it. Have you? Do you deserve God's grace? I don't. Do you treat other people as less or lower? Let me just kind of get up in your grill a little bit, okay? i got three minutes. We treat other people sometimes not even realizing we're doing it. I'm guilty. I think all of us are guilty because of just the culture in which we live in. Somebody has broken English. We treat them sometimes, or think of them at least sometimes, as less. Whether it's Asian or Hispanic or Indian or whatever... Because you don't speak the right kind of English, you must not be as smart. Now, obviously, that's a pretty dumb thought. Wouldn't we agree? But sometimes, instinctively, we have that reaction. Somebody doesn't look right. Somebody doesn't fit the group, right? Somebody doesn't, doesn't have the right kind of thinking, whatever it might be. Listen, folks. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the least. Be the least. Be the least. Count Zinzendorf, a preacher long, long, long centuries ago, one of my favorite quotes ever. You've heard me say it before. He said this. He said, my goal is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. You can make a name for yourself if you want. But if you do... That's all you're going to get. Some of the greatest minds in his, the history of the world are or have been nobodies. 
There are people who the only reason they're not leading nations is because they've been obedient to the call of God to serve the poor. Believe me, what you do in life is not necessarily a reflection of what you could have done. What you do in life should be a reflection of the obedience that you have to God's calling on your life. My prayer for you is that you would die to yourself. By the way, if you continue in chapter 14, the very next part of this passage to the end is this. It's the cost of following Jesus. What does it cost to follow? If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I have a feeling we're going to stand in heaven one day. We're going to be passing by mansions and houses and huts. Like, man, what's that, what's that shack? Oh, that was a really popular preacher in, in, on earth. It gets a shack? I'd have thought he'd had like a giant mansion. No, no, he got his reward. It was all about his kingdom. It was all about him. Man, who lives there? Oh, that was a, that was a shoeless nobody in the South Himalayans. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, my kingdom is different. My kingdom is different. He gave all he had. He took all he had. Big difference. Amen? Let God have everything about you. I surrender all. It's not that hard. You want to know the best? When you surrender all, you're not just surrendering all the good stuff. You're surrendering all the bad stuff too. I surrender all my pain. I surrender all my loneliness. I surrender all my brokenness. I surrender all my stuff. I surrender all my junk. I surrender all means, Jesus, you are Lord and you are King and I trust you. And he will never lead you into a place that he does not provide exactly what you need when you need it. And the way that you need it. And I've never known a man or a woman who surrendered to Jesus who's not been absolutely full of joy beyond joy. Never met a person. I can tell you this. The happiest people on the earth are the people who are fully surrendered to Jesus. It's absolutely true. Happiest people on earth are some of the people who have nothing because they have everything. Because the kingdom is in their mind. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Let's pray together. If you're here today and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of your works. You cannot earn or deserve God's salvation. It's totally a gift from God. If you want to receive that gift, the Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very simple. It's yielding your life to His If you'll simply say, God, I recognize that I am lost because of my sin. I need you. I'm asking you, God, to save me and forgive me. And God, I don't even know what to do from here, but I just, I want to trust you. If you'll open up your heart to the Lordship of Christ Jesus, not only will he save you, the Bible says that he places you in the palm of his hand and nobody can snatch you away. There is a security there that you can't find anywhere else. The Bible also says that he puts his spirit inside of you. And because he lives inside of you, he now is the comfort, he's the joy, he's the hope, the peace, the the conscience. He, He does it all. If you'll trust in Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made in your entire life. If you've trusted in him, but you've not yielded to him, I want to invite you to do that now.
Father in heaven, I do pray that today you would open up our eyes to what it truly means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, the least of these. May we have eyes to see those who are small and unnoticed in this world. God, may we have a heart to love people regardless of their status. Father, may we not jockey for position in a crowd. May we not feel compelled to have to tell people how important we are. God, I pray that you would just settle our hearts to rest in knowing that you are enough. Lord, you're not just enough. You are more than enough. So God, we give you all of us. And we thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your word. Take a moment now with your head bowed and your eyes closed. What does God want you to do? What's your next step? If you need to trust him and be saved, that's your next step. If you need to recommit or rededicate your life to Jesus, that's your next step. If you've never followed him in believer's baptism, that's your next step. Maybe all things are working right in your life and you you just need to thank him. That's your next step. Whatever it is, we're going to sing this song. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to stand and just respond how God would lead you. If you want to make this your church home, we would welcome you to do that. There's a card. You can do that on that card. Let's just stand. Let's be receptive to what God will have us to do. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.